You moved to the United States when you were 16. And I wanted to know, what's your earliest memory of arriving here? Actually, it's the flight when I landed, because I came by myself. My parents took all the money that they had, and they used it to send me here because they figured this was the place I was going to get the best education. And so I remember landing at JFK Airport, being completely overwhelmed by kind of the enormity of the physical place, the enormity of all the people going through, and then being fixated because I had grown up in India and Indonesia where there wasn't a lot of public display of affection by this couple who was making out in the corner. (laughs) And I remember just like looking with these what felt like really wide eyes in retrospect and trying to take it all in and trying to find my place in that enormous space. Um, one of the feelings that many immigrants describe when they first come here is, is one of isolation and loneliness. And I wonder how you conquered that, and especially one so young at I 16. I felt it too. I mean, I definitely felt it. There are things that you are going through and nobody else thinks they're unique or remarkable, but you do. Like, do you tuck your shirt collars into a sweater when you put your sweater on or do you leave them out? I mean, just my feet broke out in rashes because I, I had never worn socks before coming from a warm climate. And so all these little things would happen and there was nobody to talk to because you felt like the questions were so silly, like how should I wear my shirt and what do I do with these rashes on my feet? And to, of course, the more profound questions about identity and culture and who you are in this new place. So last year I interviewed five young men, uh, Muslim men, about 17 to 19 years old, and we were talking about stereotypes. And what stands out to me when I think of them now is how much 9-11 warped their entire schooling experience and their experience of becoming young men. And I wanted to know for you, you were in the country at the time, September 12th, could you have foreseen that that would have happened to people who look like you? Yeah. Oh, I knew it. I just moved into a new house on September 10th. And I pulled out the TV and I watched and I know, I thought everything is going to change for people who look like me or look different. I was afraid to go out in my Indian clothes. And and then that's how I started One America, because all these people were calling me, my Muslim friends who had stones thrown at them because they were wearing hijab. All these cases started streaming in. And they were calling you as an attorney? They were calling you for No, help. I wasn't that- an attorney. I had been doing a, a recording project, actually, gathering stories from different people in the Rainier Valley, and it was a very diverse area with a lot of Muslims. But also, I was on the board of a local South Asian domestic violence organization. And so I was kind of known in the community, and people were mainly calling me to say, what do we do? And that Saturday, I got a call from a school teacher friend of mine who said, Pramila, this is the sixth Muslim kid that's withdrawn from school because they're too afraid to come. And I just, I remember crying. I was so frustrated because I had just become a citizen. And I thought, oh my God, I've become a citizen of this country and this is what we do here. (laughs) And then I realized we had to do something about it and we ended up having to challenge the government. And so what originally started from the seed of hate crimes very quickly within a couple of weeks had turned into government intrusions on civil liberties and civil rights and having to stand up and fight the government of this country that I had just become a U.S. citizen of. We had this weird relationship with the FBI because we were 
fighting them on a whole bunch of things. And then we'd have to call them to say, oh, by the way, I got a lynching threat today, or I got a death threat, or, you know, to report some of those things and believe that these were the people that were going to have to protect us if something happened. Mm. You're doing very difficult work. But what are the things that inspire you? Have there been moments where you stop and you say, you see a picture, you see an interaction, you think, this is why I do this work? Yeah, it usually has to do with people's resilience, some form of that resilience showing up. We did the big action with 100 women getting arrested in front of the Capitol last year, and there were 26 undocumented women who were with us. And being willing to submit themselves for arrest, which for them meant that they very likely could be deported. When we submit for arrest, it's civil disobedience, there's discomfort, I've been in jail for 48 hours, but it's not that you're going to be deported. And there was actually a push from several people to not have them participate because people were like, well, we can't put them in these situations. But, you know, what I realized is who are we to say what situations they should be in? We have to tell them everything that can possibly happen. But if they want to be there, that is incredible. So I guess it's two things. One is the resilience, and the other is the connection that happens when you really do bring people together and really build a connection that is maybe short in time, but is very deep in experienced history. So you, is it 12 days ago you said? 12 days ago, you won a very important election. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, I decided to run for the state Senate in Washington, and I am now going to be the only woman of color in the state Senate, the first South Asian and Indian American legislator in the state. And it feels significant in many ways, including that I'm going from being a movement advocate to working to try to change the system from inside. So I want to know what or who convinced you to run, to go from being an activist outside the system to working with I thought about it from time to time. People have asked me to run for a long time, but I, I was like, no, I want to stay on the outside. I'm very effective on the outside. I feel like I can get stuff done. I'm in control. But then I just realized that, in fact, what I had spent 20 years doing as an activist, which was trying to organize electeds to do the things that I wanted them to do that were good for our community, and organizing people to believe that they could make a difference and that their voice mattered, I could actually do those things as an elected, and I would have a different platform to do it. And I'm just tired of, I think unless we get in there and shift it from inside, we're going to be continuing to ask people to do things for us instead of asking us to do them for ourselves. So it's a big institution. I'm not naive. I know it's going to be really hard. It takes a lot more than one person. But if we don't start having models for other young people of color and movement activists to run, um, women to run, you know, we're never going to get there. So I'm just going to dive in and we'll see how it goes. Last question. Who's the one person in the world, alive or past already, whose opinion matters most to you of what you do? Oh, it's probably my son. Yeah, you know, because really we're doing this all for him. I mean, all of the hims or hers around. So I want to know that my son is going to say, this woman cared for me, taught me, raised me, and fought for me and for our community. And I think he does, actually. <laughs>